Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. How you going, James? I saw you had a new paper come out last week. Your Goosebumps paper. Yes. Congrats. Uh, what's the uh, what's this, what's the story there? Well, thanks very much. This is probably boring to a lot of people who are going to hear this because um, people are occasionally negative about the fact that when you publish something, it goes out via the socials media. So. Are they? Yeah, well, I guess. Well, it's every every now and then, especially if it's boring. You go, huh, I've made a hierarchical regression model. Draw a picture <laughs> of puppies. <laughs> um, and then everyone says, why are you being so self-promoting? And they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't say that if it was actually doing anything useful. Um, most people working on theoretical statistics are wasting their lives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I was uh, um, annoyed by something completely out of context, and I've got off track already, and we've just started. Go, James. Big pat. Giving myself a pat. Pardon right, let's let's start again. In modern science, you preprint papers, or at least I certainly do, especially when it's a paper where you think the people who are in this study really want to see this straight away. They want to see the product of what they actually did, and this is a good recruitment tool, and I want to talk about it, et cetera, et cetera. This needs eyes as soon as possible, and then you tell everyone, and then it gets accepted, and then you tell everyone, and then it gets actually published, and you tell everyone. So uh, a lot of people who are going to hear this are pretty sick of goosebumps by now. They're thinking, oh, why can't they just go back to being... Why can't it be like the way it used to be, right? Before before all the immigrant goosebumps came and ruined this country. So, I'm... I'm, I'm, I've, I've, was that? I've become a little bit of... It's, I'm making fun of Stuart Lee, making fun of racists in England. Um, and I'm not even sure why I did that. Um, it more that... Look, the, the topic is... You tell I've had a lot of coffee today. The topic is a little bit tired to a lot of people. But, hey, I'll get to the point. Um, voluntary goosebumps, the ability to go, hey, you know what would be fun right now? Goosebumps. Clang. Ta-da. It shouldn't really be possible according to a mechanistic definition of the autonomic nervous system. It's not supposed to work. But it does. And there's lots of people who can do it. And it's never been systematically studied. And it's simultaneously interesting for a number of reasons. Um one is that it appears to have a strong correlate to personality openness. It predicts that mm. sort of versus population norms much better than I thought it would, which was um it wasn't even my idea. That was Kirill's idea. He's the other first author. Um, you you might remember Kirill. I he do. Was on, I do. Um, yeah, right. So he's still out there. He just got a job at the Max Planck Institute for Empirical Aesthetics, which is in Frankfurt, hey. Germany. And he's going over there from Leuven, which is in Belgium, and is a great town if you like getting drunk, which I occasionally do <laughs> because I work in science. Um, so, the physiology of this is not supposed to be possible according to the mechanistic definition, and it has a personality correlate that we can't really explain yet. So, big chunks of my life are frequently taken over by me talking to strangers on the internet about their skin. I feel like a, a a combination between an agony aunt and a kind of combat dermatologist at this point, <laughs> uh, which well, I, I'm enjoying immensely. It's just a ton of work. So mm. I, I, I set up a mailing list. I'll give you an, a, a scope of this is a lot of the time, sometimes as many as six emails a day from new people wow. or ongoing conversations. And to get 90 people on a mailing list, I've sent about 150 emails. 
which are individual emails written to people. Hi, how are you? Interesting story. I'd like to know ABC. Uh, can we talk about this? Because these people are really rare. It's really difficult to study. And it has some really interesting crossover with the physiology of emotion because obviously goosebumps are a pretty strong emotional correlate. I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit track, but mm. um, rabbit track. That's not an expression. Rab- rabbit trail. Rabbit trail. Um, rabbit trail. Speaking, rabbit hole. You don't want to go down too much hole. of a rabbit hole. Rabbit you hole. hole. <laughs> is there is there a common thread behind how these people discovered they could do this? No, it's, it's really amazing. Different. I got one guy who could be doing it for thirty five years, and we got about half a dozen who went, "Hey, I read your study, and I thought, wow." That's that's pretty wacky. I had no idea that was possible, and then I realised I could do it. I can do that. Isn't that isn't that amazing? So this guy's like, oh, I've been doing it for the last twelve hours. I go, oh, wow, I've got to capture. If we can get enough people, I'd love to capture the difference between assuming that some kind of physiological lability is involved in your perception of how you embody emotion, which is not a wild hypothesis at all, considering the modern theories on emotion. Um, if there's a difference between someone who has known they can do this and done it all the time for 35 years and someone who discovered yesterday, then we will have a very interesting piece of evidence about how it works. Uh, what that means, though, is I need to locate not 90 people, but probably somewhere in the region of three to 500. Wow. So that's it. I mean, it's really difficult. You ever tried to do a power calculation with something no one's ever studied before? Yeah. Where do you, where do you, where do you start? <laughs> Answer that, Lakens. Yeah, where are you now, Larkins? <laughs> um, that's super interesting. So, any any Hertz listeners, if you can, um, even right now, just stop and think: Can you voluntarily induce goosebumps? If you can, get in contact with um with James. Yeah, that's uh, I'd I'd enjoy that very much, especially because anyone who is listening to this is obviously better than normal people, and because uh, the fact that you've just heard that in context makes you fantastic, basically. So if you can do that, then you're obviously a, a very valuable source of data for me personally, and I will hopefully be able to explain things about yourself that you didn't know. Wouldn't that be nice? Very nice. Ah, oh, ain't nothing like progress. How's well, your work going, Daniel? I see work, you work. published. Uh, I see you uh, published is probably not the right word. You've started making some other media product, and it's called Smiling Daniel's Short Happy <laughs> Half Hour. And your great big grinning head appears on my twirtles, and on I the- try to pay as little attention to it as possible because I'm convinced it's giving me hepatitis. <laughs> but you're you're interviewing people. Uh, yeah, in a very brief format, and talking about research that just came out. And yeah. because it's something that you're interested in, it's uh, how often do Welsh people wear gumboots? Um, <laughs> how many states in the US is it legal to interfere with a dog? All, I mean, all, all, you know, all those, all, all those, those kind of things. All those good questions. <laughs> Tell me what no. it is seriously, you massive weirdo. <laughs> what I'm doing, it's it's basically revolving around research on on physiology and behavior, which is pretty broad, but that uh, tends to take in all my research, which, which I do, which is within oxytocin, um, but also heart rate variability. And uh, I just want to talk to people about their work. And I think we've, we've, we've found ourselves that it can be very hard to actually get a hold of guests when it comes to time zones and all those other other types of things. So, rather than actually organizing um, Skype conversations, which, which are great, um, I'm basically um, find an interesting paper. I email the author going, hey, I like your paper. Um, I want to feature it on uh, on this show. Um, I've got a few questions for you. Can you just record them on video? And, uh, and it, it helps actually reduce that friction of, oh, we have to actually sort out a, um, a time 
Um, and and some people actually don't like or don't like the pressure of doing these kind of uh, live interview things. So it works out really well. But oh, basically, right. so they can record it and then they know that was incoherent. I left out a detail. Let me start let, again. Let let, yeah. let me do a two two and a half whole minutes again from scratch. Yeah. Right. So, so, it's, so okay. So it's more like a it's it's not a podcast in the sense that it's conversational. You it's it's more sort of a short interview. Yeah. And presumably yeah. you pick people who are interesting rather than dreadful. Yeah, interesting people, interesting research. Uh, just getting to the, the stories behind the sort of uh, the sort of work that they're doing. So I'll, I'll add a link in the show notes to. I think we're I'm, I'm uh, five six episodes down. Uh, first one was with uh, Matt Wall, who you, he might know on Twitter. He um he works yeah. with uh, works with Kiss Pepsin, which is uh, a, a newish uh, newish relationship hormone. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 really cool stuff. And um, a, f- a few of the episodes more so speaking with people. Uh, more about the process of research. Uh, last episode was actually with uh, with Stu Murray, who, uh, who you've done a bit of a uh, bit of work. Hello, with. Stu. Stu Murray. You sound like this in my head, even though you're not from Yorkshire. <laughs> Stu totally, is totally a mank. Does. He's, <laughs> a, he's a he's a beautiful disaster of a mank. He is. He is. He's go, he wants to be the world's second most famous mank behind Carl Pilkington. Yeah, oh. the, best, the best advertising for Manchester anyone could ever hope to have. <laughs> At least that he's was, better was, looking, but then again, the, the cat is better looking right now, and he's lying upside down, and I can the, actually the, the, the see cul, his bum. Cul, so, cul, cul, there you go. But yeah, hi, check. hi, Stu. I know you're probably listening to this in the car somewhere. I just want you to know that you're pretty. <laughs> so, yes, check out uh, check out physiology and uh, and behavior. But uh, next, our next episode, uh, we're getting ahead of, ahead of ourselves a bit, but next episode, we're actually speaking with, uh, with Nathan Hall. Um, who hey. is who is the guy behind Academics Say? Um, but um, you're gonna find out a bit more about him in that episode. But he actually did an mm. in- interesting tweet. Um, it's a topic that I've wanted to get to for a while. That's been around this uh, the idea of the, the idea of scientists and humor. Mm. Uh, and. Yeah, there's a, there's a great deal to say that we won't get into now, but there's a, obviously there's a whole there's a there's a, 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 a subculture of well, maybe that's not even the right word. Fuck it, we'll use it. Uh, there's a subculture of what constitutes funny in scientific terms, and what people who are within, I suppose, a educative slash research sort of environment find amusing. Oh my good god. Someone just drove up the wrong side of the road <laughs> on a bloody, dual carriageway. Australians. Sorry, no, that wasn't an Australian. That was that car had local plates. Okay. Sorry, I thought I was freaking out there for a second. I was literally I was staring idly out the window because it's a nice day and I don't have to look at you. And <laughs> a car just drove the wrong way down the dual carriageway. I'm surprised we didn't manage to record a wonderful, wonderful noise. Would have been After great for the, uh, for the for the police investigation. <laughs> oh yeah, later. So it's 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 funny, Your Honor, but the uh, the accident took place at uh, nine twenty three and twenty five seconds. Well, yeah, that's I very just... specific, sir. <laughs> How can you be so specific? <laughs> How did you know this? We're going to be we're going to be talking with uh, with Nathan in in two weeks' time, and uh, he, he did a tweet um, a few days ago, which um, which was uh, went. 
ballistic on Twitter. And it was, um, if you can go back and tell your younger academics of one thing you've learned about academia, what would you say? And we're probably going to chat to him about this this tweet. But um, something that was interesting was that uh, there was uh, there was one guy who who did a did a response, did the old quote tweet, and and answered this. Um, and uh, he basically responded, uh, one, um, cultivate a niche, two, if it's not a paper, it doesn't count, and three, middle authors don't get jobs. Now, this tweet got a lot of heat, and it was a great example of the old Twitter pylon phenomenon, where basically someone P-Y-L-O-N, says P-Y-L-O-N, where someone's being a complete pylon? No. Oh, <laughs> P-I-L-E hyphen O-N, pylon. The Twitter pylon, as in this guy's a pylon. That probably doesn't make sense out of Australian uh, context. But go on, Daniel. I'm listening carefully to your words. (laughs) Um, There was a great example of, um, and I've seen this happen a few times, where someone will say something and uh, people almost just pull it out of its context. Now, um, look, I'm going to say who it is. It's uh, Andrew Pruszynski, and essentially I actually do agree with with what he says in the sense that it is actually a fairly accurate statement of how a lot of biomedical science is. It isn't necessarily the ideal of how it should be. And I'm sure, and from his responses, that was exactly his intention, that it was never meant to be um, how he wished it would be. But then people took it and ran with it. And as soon as someone tweeted about it, look at this, look how horrible it is, people took it. What do you think about this whole sort of thing, this whole, you know, environment that we've built where people can easily just take 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 something and just, just run with it and uh well, pile let's, on. Let's not let's not pretend that's specific to academia. Um I've found this thing that you just referenced in the interim. Um this was this happened on Monday and I was finishing a, a report for a subcontract we were working on that was due on Tuesday. So on Monday I was heavily underslept and potentially medicated in the rye whiskey Manhattan related sense. So I missed all of this entirely. Um, tweets are context free and it makes it, it makes it dangerous to assume that you know the backstory behind words in isolation. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna couch language I think this is going to happen a lot less. See, well, you sent me the, the the first tweet here, and I found the found the second one attached to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 not it's not an endorsement of any of that. There's, academic advice has a span between what we think is good for how the process of research should work, all the way through to here are the ugly fucking realities of a competitive marketplace and working with difficult people and trying to navigate a process that is when it works well really difficult so that could be a personal reflection that could be a, a some kind of indictment on like how does this how does this work uh, okay well that's not amazing but here's the here's the grim logic my friends all the way through to these are things that I, I strongly believe should be the case. Now, from what you're saying, it sounds like people have assumed this is something that should be the case. Mm. You know, people, they've seen that and they've as- gone, "Oh, you're you're endorsing this. You're endorsing this environment," as opposed to you're making an accurate reflection of this environment. 
So you strip out the context. That's the thing that happened about this yesterday that I did see. Um, but someone who spends a lot of time being rude to people on Twitter, which is uh, I would probably list as one of my hobbies now. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't always see these things. Maybe I don't follow enough people, but I never know what to do when it comes to that. Um, I saw there's there's one thing. There are a bunch of uh, a bunch of racist lunatics who were harassing this author she works for the new york times and she was getting back at him she was getting back at him using essentially the same language and everyone was you know and she got promoted or something and everyone was going oh look she's a she's a she's a horrible racist because she put the words in order again context right why were the words put in order in the first place and you think what if that was on a long this is one of the, the problems with satire and Twitter are totally antithetical to each other because if you got long, long strings of words in order, right, and then people take out the worst thing that you've actually said, right, free of any narrative information about what they mean, then all of a sudden you've like different, different audience, different people, and then you're going, okay, this is an unambiguous statement of something. And any anyone with a more than... 10 seconds of appreciation of how words are sought over time and how people communicate know that that's not the case. So I don't trust anything where, you know, I'm not, I, I prefer to yell at people on a personal level because they're dreadful. Look at the, the, the idea that, that I, I know exactly what he meant by that. I, I don't know. I've, I'm hesitant to rush to judgment as much as I'm occasionally in hesitant to rush to vicious personal abuse. Uh, as you're probably well aware by now. Um, so, look, it's a, it raises the question, is is that an accurate reflection of grim reality that we don't necessarily endorse, Daniel? Yeah, it, it is reality, but we don't endorse it. All right. Um, I, it also, look, I mean, this is also personal. Anytime you give advice, and we'll, we'll get to this in a second because we've got a question that we want to do that's about this. We do actually plan these. It isn't just me screaming at the sky and Dan wishing that he'd got another job 10 years ago. <laughs> um, so much changes by field, right? So if you're trying to navigate any particular part of an academic, if you're in a PhD, Right, cultivate a niche to me is a is advice for someone who has to apply for grants and have a personal identity, etc. I would be if you could swap that out for someone who's a grad student. I would say cultivate skills, cultivate a, not in the sort of like oh you've got to be a marketable person. You've you've got to have abilities because you don't know what you're going to do next. You're going to have to sort of multi-tool into whatever happens afterwards. You know, I see people all the time like, oh, I'm out there looking for uh, postdocs and instructor jobs and all the rest of it. And um, I can't find anything that's exactly on what I study. (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? I do wonder why there's Mm. no one who's explicitly interested in 14th century neoclassical Iranian pottery. That's amazing. Um, but that that applies equally well to scientific topics as well. Like, oh, I wanted to do a bit of this and a bit of this and a bit of this, and I found one job, Ab, but it was from 2014. Huh? Okay, interesting. So to navigate that, no, nah, no, nah, a niche, a, a niche, a thing that you identify with your little fucking ridiculous basket to push. The whole sort of brand building bollocks is is for people who have the ability to go out and maintain it themselves. 
That is not the advice number one that I would put for someone who is a graduate student. You know, I mean, yeah, you've got to have you've got to have a if research has to have a focus to start with. I mean, a PhD already is a fucking niche. If you've got to program a research with multiple overlapping papers or multiple overlapping grants, right? Working between different work groups, doing stuff, etc., etc. And there's one topic that you want to be involved in. You want to be that lady who does that thing, right? Yeah. All right. Fine. I see you. Um, you know, if it's not a paper, it doesn't count. Uh, if you're a software and you want to get an engineering job, sorry. Yeah. Just, oh, right. So if, if you write <laughs> software, if you study, if you study a, a CIS sort of topic, uh, anything to do with that, um, and you work on a great project and you stick it in the public domain, no one gives a fuck. If you turn up and you've got skills and you've worked with different things and you can show off software that you've done. I've met plenty of industry people who would go, oh, yeah, you've got a PhD from MIT. I don't give a fuck. Show me your code repository. Tell me what mm. you're working on right now. Why is this language better than this task? Right? If it's not a paper, if it's not a paper, it doesn't count, has its own limitations. Mm. Middle authors don't get jobs. Well, middle authors don't get probably PI jobs, but in basic science, there's an awful lot of people who are second and third author who are the ones keeping all the goddamn lights on. And some people want to be research scientists. They want to be hard. They they want to be hard money people who have a job that doesn't go away. They want to work 40 hours a week putting shit in a dish and poking it with a thing. Yeah, that's fine. Not everyone wants to, to climb the goddamn greasy pole. Middle authors don't get yeah middle middle authors don't get soft money fucking self promotion crazy jobs but occasionally they get jobs where they get to go home at the end of the day and then go for a walk with their dog and not not stay up at night writing grants on a fucking couch. So all of these things, all of these things are context dependent. I've, mm. seg- I've segued very heavily. I'm not saying it's 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 necessarily untrue. So there's there's a lot of situations where that probably is. Yeah. And this is the things right, he would ask him okay, to tell re- himself. Re- re- reflecting reflecting on the grim reality of something, you know. It's uh, but I'll tell you the other component part that I feel about people getting upset. There's an awful lot of people who get angry on the twitters and the everywhere else now who feel like they've not been listened to before. And open science people can do this. You have years of wondering about whether or not it's the right thing. And you see nepotism and you see bullshit and you see systems that don't work. And then someone gives you a structure that says, hey, you can, you can, have, exactly the same, uh, you can have exactly the same kind of uh, access and internet presence as the the tangerine malone you can go and 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 tweet something uh horrible in the middle of the night sitting on the can and then everyone's suddenly going to pay attention to it and in that environment people are angry empowered people will take things too far they will take things out of context and they'll also be reacting to the environment someone else is going to come up and provide context for you they will walk to the table and go, well, this is how I interpret it. And someone else will walk out and go, this is how I interpret it too. And at that point in time, you've, you've lost control of whatever body of knowledge sits behind your words in order. Mm. And at that point, it's just, you know, it's all for young and old. Um, the thing that I always try to keep in mind, and this is not very good advice to give to people, is at the end of the day, if, if people are angry at you on the internet... Um, 
All right. Are they going to come around to your house and baseball bat your mailbox? Probably not. Are you going to hurt a lot of people's feelings? Yeah. Are they going to forget about it more or less straight away? Yeah. Are they angry because they partly feel like they should be angry about issues related to this thing? Yeah. This isn't within science. It's just sort of in general. Mm. So people get a leathering, right? And it goes, it goes, people have yelled at me for various things that I've said or posted. And it, yeah, okay. You, you're, you're allowed to do that. I can't, uh, I can't pretend that. I can't pretend there's anything I can do about it. This is, look, I, I think there's one experience that I've had that makes me pretty sanguine about, oh, a million people yelled at me, right? It's dealing with journalists. Because they'll take your stuff and they'll go, here's how I would choose to communicate that. And one word goes wrong. One single, lonely, solitary fucking word ends up in the wrong thing. Suddenly you've got a different take. And then because there's so much churn in the world where people write about things for money, that is acquired by someone else. And then all of a sudden you, you, you've got the, uh, what's that paper game called again? I didn't have a normal childhood. What's the one where you get the goddamn the thing and you write the next line of the story and before you know it, it started out as a love story and suddenly it's a sci-fi. I don't know and, the name of it, but I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, this is some... Yeah. Um, it was called Chinese Whispers when I was at school and no one could ever give me a good answer as to why it was called that. And then there was another... Is it Telephone? Is that yeah, the telephone. game? Yeah, Telephone. Telephone, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's also funnier than the other one because you've got to... Yeah, that never worked. I mean, let's not talk about the structural difference between these two activities of like how you ruin narratives for fun. But things, things are going to get away from you. Mm. And everyone's going to yell at you and move on to some degree. Now, I can't tell people how to feel about it. Just just remember everything. What I'm saying is I try very hard not to take it seriously myself, and it works for me. I I read a a very, very, really good rule. Um, I forget who said it, but basically I've had a a few people argue with me on the internet, internet just about, I don't know, whatever. And I basically say, is there anything I could say that would actually change your mind about what we're, what we're talking about? And they go, mm. no. I'm like, cool, we're done. There's just no point. There's absolutely no point. If, if, if nothing can change your mind about something, then I'm just like, all right, sweet. But you're See so it. convincing. <laughs> not, not, not at all. Not, um, not, not, not convincing. I, I, I have no, idea. I have no what, idea what, what I'm doing. What would like be the, an example, Daniel, what would be an example mm. of an argument like that that you would have with someone? Uh, oxytocin doesn't get oh. to the brain. Yeah. Right. I'm okay. talking more technical stuff, not like sort of broad, broader stuff, but yeah, that, 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 that's one example. You can go back and forth and you can cite this study and cite that study. Um, but uh, that's one example. Mm, right. And you both end up with a, the, the, the uneasy, more research is needed canard. And then you both feel dirty for having said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, let's, do, let's do one of these topics really fast. Well, okay, let's do it. Um, let's, okay. Uh, do you, I, I, want you to, I want you to do this. I'm going to try and get you to answer this question in about 60 seconds all right go all right here we go all right i was wondering if you guys could oh thanks very much dude i was wondering if you guys could any me a question i'm convinced you did that deliberately to make me sound stupid no no no, no. I was, I was... right <laughs> I, was I was wondering pasting the Damn, we'll start again start again stop right. grinning you human wasteland right <laughs> go i was wondering if you guys could answer me a question 
What are the three tips you could give to someone who is looking to commence a PhD? And go. Um, understand statistical inference. Uh, I think most graduate programs basically teach you how to find significances and not actually what's happening underneath. So learn how to do that properly. Um, we spoke about it before in the podcast and we always talk about it. Learn a skill. That would be, um, that would be number two. Um, and uh, number three, think a year ahead. Think a year ahead where you want to be. Um, don't be that person who's on the internet or on Twitter saying, I've finished my PhD. Help me look for a job. Um, don't be that person. So, yeah. Bang. That was less well than 60 done. seconds. Well done. That was about 35 yeah. seconds, Daniel. I'm, I'm almost impressed. Yeah. That was, uh, that was excellent. Do well you, done. What do you What do you think? What are, what are three pieces of advice? You, you obviously agree with the skills thing, but- um, what, Yes, what- that, was, that was probably going to be my number two. The first, the first one would be understand the externalities of why you're doing a PhD in the first place. If you re- reprogram it, if you're doing a PhD in history, it's because you're going to learn to write and do research and know a thing. It's not because you're going to understand historian. Uh, you, you're not. You're not going to become a historian. You, you don't get a free cardigan, right? <laughs> so there's a. It's a. It's a guarantee of absolutely nothing. So if you do a PhD in engineering stuff. You probably have your eye on a non-academic career. If you do a PhD in biology, who knows? If you do a PhD in mining, I mean, the mining industry sucks all the people out of academia. It's it's a very very easy place to get an academic job because all the mining people work digging shit out of the ground. For sure. Same sorts of things happen in uh, same sorts of thing happen in various technical fields as well, right? Skills in demand, etc. But everything else needs to be reframed in terms of you're going to do those skills. So you're going to do a psychology PhD. What are your skills? Reading, writing, research, the speed with which you can do all of the above, your ability to understand something. A million organizations employ researchers. It's Mm. very likely that you won't get an academic job because numbers. We all think we're special. We're not. Right? You may want to change at any given point in time. Understand the externalities of your PhD. Two, skills, etc. You've already said it. That was fine. I agree Mm. with you completely. Look at it as a period of skill acquisition. Number three, you're never going to get any other freedom to mm. do a thing. Right. So, if you become locked into a grant project, you have to do the grant project. If the grant project turns into a big pile of shit, you still have to do the grant project. If you have any kind of soft money job, it's already been predetermined what you're going to be working on. In a PhD, you have the ability to change stuff, mix up, move around, pick topics that you want. People go, oh, well, I don't personally have that. I'm saying in general, compared to what is likely to follow, if you want to continue to be a researcher, you have more ability to change things. Understand the process that you need to move your scholarship to a different advisor, to acquire a new, like, will your your university pay for you to go and get a new skill set? So you want to learn qualitative analysis and the in vivo people are running a two-week workshop on how to read a fucking thing and pull the, the, the internal pieces of the text out and analyze it, right? Uh, math works are coming to town. The, the, uh, the uh, w- women in data science groups, of which there's some really, 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 really great ones in the US, are doing a, a skill code camp thing, right? It all costs money. Who's paying? Can you move your circumstances around if you need to? And what is something that you're going to study where you can set yourself up that you're going to enjoy? What what is what is more frustrating than spending a million years getting really good at something that you hate? Yeah, <laughs> not worth it, right? Because it's because it's particularly convenient. 
Um, do I get a fourth? I'm, I'm taking a fourth. Yeah, you. yeah, go, go, go um, fourth, number four, bonus. Understand that people leave PhDs all the time for a variety of reasons. People finish PhDs and then don't work in their field. They finish PhDs, continue in research, acquire different skills, and then move out. It doesn't mean your your path is not set. You have to understand. You, you have to understand that there's no failure or problem or being external to a process of meaning if it doesn't work out the way that you imagined it would reading Lucky Jim when you were a kid. Right? It's 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 not that. The the, the idea of the kind of Donish researcher person, you know, oh, I started and then I stayed and it's a thing and now I smoke a pipe in the garden, etc. because I'm a professor and I give sage insights to people who don't really give a shit. That has got to die because that's not a lot of people anymore. It's no. not that kind of world. Now, now we're talking about advice like things that I don't endorse versus things that are grim realities. Mm. <laughs> I want to smoke a pipe in a goddamn garden. I'm just well aware of the fact that because of circumstances that I can do nothing about that might not happen. There, now I'm finished. Dan here, taking you through the break. I just want to give you a quick reminder of the various ways you can support the show. It would mean the world to us if you were to share the show with your friends on Twitter and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at Hertz Podcast. That's H-E-R-T-Z Podcast, one word. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or just want to say hi, hit us up via message on Twitter or Facebook. You can also rate the show on iTunes or you can leave a review. Now, let's get back to the show. Next question that we got from a listener. This is actually over a Twitter DM. So anyone that wants to ask us questions, that's actually a really good way to get in contact with us. Uh, you can also contact us over um, Facebook as well. People contact us over Messenger there too. But uh, this uh, question was, um, I'd love to see some discussions on exploratory research. There have been a lot of guidelines for performing principled confirmatory research, but little debate on hypothesis generating exploratory research. A great point for discussion would be whether inferential statistics has any role in exploratory research. James Heathers. Oh, <laughs> why do you do this? <laughs> oh my god um i would have appreciated a context for this one i mean i that, guess yeah, we have that's... some here because there's a little grab after that yeah, you send it to you yeah, there you go in monkey electrophysiology or human neuroimaging it is very common to use null hypothesis significance testing in exploratory papers all right Let's start with one of these when we talk about idealized states versus grim reality. Let's start with the blanket expectation that whatever you do, regardless of how regardless of how appropriate it is or not, if you send something that is demonstrative and exploratory when it's perfectly appropriate to a journal, I can see an awful lot of those things in the most general possible sense coming back to you with a reply that says, why didn't you do any statistics? <laughs> do you see what I mean? I've had, it, I'm going through that exact experience right now with the paper. Oh, tell us about that. Um, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a preprint. I can talk about it. Um, so this is a uh, this, is, this is a paper looking at um, 
uh, gen, uh, oxytocin pathway gene expression in the brain. Um, I thought super you said ex- gen expression. I have a gen, gen expression. Exp- <laughs> it's a very wide grin and it comes after four. <laughs> gen, gen expression in the brain. Gene, gene expression in the brain. It's super, super exploratory and I frame it as such. And then uh, one of the reviewers is like, mate, where, where are your p-values? Um, so, it's one of those things. Do you sort of come up with p-values, do, do all your corrections and kind of go, here it is, it's exploratory, or do you fight back against a reviewer going, well, I don't think they're appropriate here. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying both. I've actually done the p-values in, in this instance, and even when you're correcting for a zillion tests, the p-values are still uh, still significant. Um, yeah, so, that also outside of the framework of how these things are supposed to be deployed in the first instance, which you are obviously well aware. Mm. So, I wonder if there's a middle ground there. Like, if, if we had analyzed it the way you said, it would look like all this bullshit that I'm not putting in the main paper but attaching as a supplement, etc., etc. So, you've written, That's I feel exact- this is not appropriate, but if you're going to ask me so nicely, and then never refer to it again, just, uh, you know, as people, oh, man... You could you could fill you could fill a wide dry ocean with the things that the basic statistics shit that people don't understand. We haven't even got into the Pareto principle point yet, where twenty percent of knowing what the fuck you're doing is solving eighty percent of the problems. Mm. I mean, you've you've done something you've done something where it isn't appropriate to say that you had a hypothesis of interest to begin with, right? And then you have hypothesis tested it according to a framework, which we're not going to go there right now. But someone's immediate response to that is, where are my numbers? You go back, you give our numbers. I know there are a few journals that have actually um, set up specific paper types and they're called exploratory research. And I quite like that in that you actually see this paper and it explicitly from the outset for both the reader and also the reviewer, they know it's exploratory. And if you're writing this, then you, you, you can't possibly say we hypothesized X, Y, Z. And I think, I think more papers, uh, I think Cortex, the, the journal Cortex mm. has a, has a journal, uh, sorry, has a, has an editor, a sub editor that's uh, purely focused on, on exploratory research. And I quite like that. That's absolutely fine. Is the, the whole point is, of course, is that you, you can't. <sighs> If you only do exploratory <laughs> research, right? So, look, the goose the goosebumps paper was the goosebumps paper was pretty goddamn exploratory. I mean, Did you use? No one's ever studied before. hypothesis, sitting convinced testing. Um, in a small part of it, yes, but I don't take the p values particularly seriously. Um, there was one where I look, I didn't want to say. It's like more the more the fact that it's possible and nothing had jumped out as I do, I did I had ten tests and we just went oh I'm going to bond for only the entire lot oh look none of them are significant so I don't need to talk about them which is my way of getting around the problem of nice. but if one of them had been that. oh the significant what do you yeah, do you, you you tank you tank your own result because you know it's inappropriate to discuss it hmm. um so I mean the the next thing that the next thing that we've got to do with this is like now we've this has been an exercise in hypothesis generation it's been an exercise in sticking stuff together right so the interesting thing now i might get to do if we can get all the ducks in a row i might get to do my first goddamn registered report on this because now we've got now we've got a hypothesis and it's an interesting hypothesis and we're studying something that is very obviously demonstrably real right 
That's the, that's the thing that's at the center of it. We know, we know it shouldn't work. We know it's real. It's there. It's apparent, right? Full stop, end of story, it is. Okay, so now we have a hypothesis. We'll test it. If it doesn't come the fuck true in a registered report, then we will have to go out and get another goddamn hypothesis. Yeah, is it slow? Yes, but we'll actually know something when we're done. Mm. That helps. I like knowing things. That's allegedly what they pay me for. <laughs> I think that's the key is actually like you, I think it's fine actually applying null hypothesis in advanced testing to exploratory research as long as you're actually explicit about what you're trying to do and you do all, all the appropriate corrections. Um, I, I remember, I think I might have told this story before, um, but uh, I, I was walking through the, this, uh, just, just some of the labs and uh, there were some offices, sorry, meeting rooms which have glass windows and I saw this massive piece of, of paper that had been taped together with, with, um, with masking tape and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I walk in and someone had actually taped together a massive correlation table and then that had like, it was almost hundreds of correlations and then there was one that was 0.04 and it was circled in red and it said, got it. It said what? got it or found it or something like that. Wow. That's all you need to do. If, if oh, I would have tried to find out like a tiny pickaxe. Yeah. And, uh, and stuck it to the wall with a piece of sellotape with a little sign that said, uh, significance mining. Significance. <laughs> like one of that's- those tiny little rock hammers that rock hammer, the, the people who are interested in minerals have, you know, those little hammers about sort of, yeah, yeah. Uh, half a foot. Yeah, you go. There's your little, there's your, there's your number mining hammer, you fucking hack. And th- there's an excellent example of, I mean, clearly they didn't do any corrections um, on, on the correlations. You think? Oh, maybe they <laughs> reported all of those results, Daniel. But uh, I'd, I'd bet my career they didn't. Um, so, yeah, oh, that's- really? That is a, an example of when you shouldn't actually be using the, those sort of statistics for um, for those things. But, you know, I think, it, yeah, if you do all the appropriate corrections um, for multiple testing um, and you're completely upfront with going, hey, we didn't actually predict this. Our goal was to go in and find out if there was any associations. We found it. Now we actually, I, I think it's also interesting in that um, when you actually look back at the, at the original uh, development of, of the p-value, it was that a lot of it was 0.05 was was a level that was chosen. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let's look again. That was the yeah. It's like rarely, rarely fails to give a, yeah. a measure. I don't above know the exact history. I'm 0. sure someone's going to tell me. Uh, uh, you know what I mean. Um, I yeah. think that's I think that's what it was. There's like a question like when with the implication is very obviously when multiply multiply investigated. Why was that so difficult to say? Um, well, basically, when you, you continue to observe the same thing, it's continually above this, and this is kind of a general goddamn rule of thumb, hmm. as opposed to gasp over the line, kicking and heaving, <laughs> and, and green fluid streaming from both nostrils, and get your P equals 0.48 fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I made it. I'm a special boy. Now I understand. I understand the science. Yeah, goddamn hack. Oh, uh, why can't I kill people just by thinking about it? <laughs> anyway, that's look, that, I don't know. I don't know. Question. I don't know what else there is to say on that. Your whole, any, no matter how you do it, any exploratory research should be, uh, say two things. One, please follow it the fuck up. 
There's nothing worse than a work group who's like, oh, we've got an idea about this and we kicked it all together and we found something. And then they move off obliquely from the side of that into exactly the same thing again. So what they're essentially done is is a, a series of quasi-related investigations into into things where they, they shoved it around and it made sense and they just keep moving through one thing after the other thing after the other thing. They're not interested in the process. They're just interested in stacking up various linguistically related outcomes. And it's dog mm. shit. So not, don't not do science. that. If you're interested in if you're interested enough in it to do an exploratory study in the first place, hopefully for a better reason than hey, my friend Barry can get me access to a data set that says X Y Z. Up yours and up Barry's. God damn! If you're going to do an exploratory study, please at the very least have plans to follow the fucking thing up with an investigation that even just even oh, I'm not even going to say anything about inference, but just use the tools that we've had for a what since the Cretaceous period in the way that they're designed in the first instance. And the second thing is, say it. It's exploratory, use the words. And if anyone says go back and put a retrospective hypothesis in your paper, oh. I mean, I don't, I don't generally approve of fighting reviewers as much as a lot of the time it sort of comes naturally. But if someone says that, right, you tell them to perform carnal acts upon their own corpus nicely, nicely, but you got to push back against. You got that is something that you have to push back against. Not let it slide, not try and get past it because if you do that, right? The people that you're going to fuck over are the people who think Oh, they had a good idea in this particular context and then it works. We think there's a component idea X, Y, Z. That is got your certainty in making your paper better is the genesis of wasting a lot of other people's time. So what you're saying, although I pursue this to its potentially tenuous logical conclusion, what you're saying is uh, my ability to write this paper to look good in the sense that I've going to get the publication and the reviewer will be happy with me is more important than someone else's time and money it's crap it's pollution do you it's think fucking pollution it's like a municipal waste video clip with people vomiting goo everywhere <laughs> do you think there is any good reason for journals not to publish anonymous reviews of papers to not publish anonymous reviews yeah what, when so- they're fucking anonymous no, sorry. Peer peer reviews are always anonymous, more or less. This this is that's a, that, that's a different question. But is there any reason, or have you heard of any reasons why a journal shouldn't actually be publishing the reviews of papers? I can see I can see the arguments for um, particularly early, early career researchers being uh, anonymous with their with their reviews, um, both mm. in a public sense, but also to the author. But when it comes to the actual publication, some journals, uh, the BMC family, for instance, publishes all their reviews as well yeah, as the I, names I of the read, I, uh, I read one this morning, yeah. literally and, from a BNC. Uh, and it's amazing because I, I think you're less likely to say something stupid if you- Well, no, it, it actually has happened with one, with, <laughs> with one of my papers, but uh, that, that's a different story. Um, but you're less likely to say something a bit, a bit daft if you know that your name and your review is going to be posted with the paper. But I'm thinking- is there any reason? Is it because journals just just don't want them to don't want to see the process behind what's actually happening? Is it sort of a survivorship bias thing? Um, wouldn't it be more interesting to actually see the reviews of papers that were rejected? I know the Meta Psychology Journal um, posts reviews regardless of whether they're accepted or, or, or rejected, but 
what should shouldn't we? I don't know. I, I just think that would really solve a lot of problems if do we you were to see pub- any. Do you see any strong arguments against posting anonymous reviews? Uh, I, from a practical sense, no. But I could see why journals wouldn't do it because then you can see. Oh, look, this paper, like for some reason, all four reviewers are sleeping behind the wheel and they shoved it through. Maybe they were all buddies of the researcher. Yeah. Oh, look, this paper didn't get anything. Look how poor the the peer review was for this paper. Wow, I can't believe it got through. None of the reviewers asked them about this. So, I think journals might be a bit worried because people can actually see, ah, things aren't as stringent. Well, then, I mean, look, if you're running a journal, you you would hope at some point in time, I understand people acting selfish for very obvious reasons, but when you've got to the point where you've actually formed a scientific journal, you would hope that your sense of, I mean, considering that it's a, a kind of a community giving act in the first place, a shitload of work goes into running even a small journal, right? Considering you're already doing that, the idea that you want to keep your essentially marketing position together by not telling people how you made your decisions feels oh, kind of anti-science in the in the sense that starting a journal and having it exist in its own right really really is i mean it's this there's a kind of a it's a selfless sort of act i'm not talking about the the conglomerates of howler monkeys that own the fucking things that own the ip the actual blood and guts of running the fucking thing being the editor, keeping the lights on, doing the copy editing, sending the torrents of emails to people like me who forget to write their goddamn reviews because you ah. never send them proper calendar invites in the first place. Why the fuck do I have to be explaining this to people in 2018? If you want it by a certain date, send a goddamn... I have things. I have like simple apps on my phone that will send you calendar update invite things that are in four different calendar formats. I have and your never goddamn journal can't that. figure that out, or you know? I've never a, had a, a company. Community. A company with a fucking uh, you, you, you've got a you've got a billion dollar top line, and I can't get a goddamn calendar update to keep the business model afloat in the first place. I could actually stop, open the calendar, put it in manually. Right? Don't do that to people. Give them something to click. Yeah, it's a small thing, but there's a fucking hundred small things. That's a great idea. Do them. I never thought of that. Oh, you just, it's all it's always these. Are you listening, things. journals? Yeah. Th- look, I tell you, I'm reviewing an article right now for a journal called Sports Medicine. Which is actually a very well regarded, uh, a very well regarded journal in the area of. <laughs> yeah, you guessed it. Um, do you know what happened? Do you know what they have that I've never seen before? And I don't know how many peer reviews I've written. Somewhere between forty and sixty. Right? Do you know what they have? There's an yeah. email link. You click the link in the email. It immediately accepts the fact that you're doing the thing and propagates the PDF straight away. So you don't have to go to the website, open the thing, log in, talk to yeah. whoever else, write down a reasony something, something, something. You click the email link and it goes, bang, PDF. And I read it for 20 minutes straight away just because I went, clickety, there you go. Where's your fucking Pomodoros now, Dan, you hippie? A lot of journals do that. Oh, I don't know. It's good. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the, the places I've been reviewing for. But that... Look, things like that make it easier. They don't ever look at these things. Like, I, I, even a basic sort of UI, UX team looking over <laughs> journal management stuff, they, they would be Heaven shitting forbid. napalm within the first 25 minutes, right? <laughs> it's like, sorry, you have how much money in the kick? Your market cap is what? 
your profit margin is what? And this is how you get people to perform your That's core crazy. business model? PJ. Are you a bunch of sociopaths? Great Fix example. Your fucking systems. PJ is unless a great example of a done yeah, right. Right, unless unless you're psychnet, in which case, don't fix your system. Go down to the server room and reprogram it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> psychnet is just the, <laughs> it's just the most horrible system. Like it's like that they, they don't want you to to use it. It's it's. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Psychnet's one of those things. I'm convinced that part of the 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 reason that Sci-Hub is so ascendant is because people are like Psychnet. It is it, is is because. <laughs> It's all Psychnet's fault. <laughs> it's not all Psychnet's fault, just the vast majority. Um, <laughs> but see, look, when I'm at university, on the university server, I had some really seamless access to a lot of things. So I didn't except need to for think about it. Yeah, except for Psychnet. Like, that's so crazy. Oh, it's like it's, it's like a, the other day I, I tried to count them. It was something. It was somewhere between I think sort of like fourteen and eighteen like clicks. And how many times you have to log periods. in? <laughs> There's no, I don't know who set up their 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 integration automation stuff. It's just a fucking, it's a it's a toilet full of words. <laughs> anyway, that's a, it's amazing how quickly we move into bitching, isn't it, Dan? Um, no, but no, but it, it, Psychnet was on my mind um, because I had to access paper there recently, and um, I was I was I was I was thinking, am I off campus? Or no, I, I'm I'm on the VPN, and still it was just it was it was crazy, and. Um, I reckon, yeah, it was just, oh, far out. Hate it. But um, <laughs> let's, um, on that note of, of bitching about Psychnet. <laughs> it's not a let, very good note, is it? It's a very, very good oh, note. There's someone out there working really hard to maintain this who's got back-end problems that we don't know about. Please tell pulling, us. Like, who's pulling wanna, their hair know. out going, you don't understand how hard it is to keep this shit together. I'm working with piss and string here. Well, it's it's not like the APA's short on money. I heard they've um they've got like they made some really solid investments like in property invest investments. Um, I actually heard this on the, the Black Goat podcast. The uh, APA hi goats. made some. None of them will be listening this long. They only listen to the yeah, first yeah. minutes. If you are, let, re- let, rediscover let, what fucking pricks we are. They turn it off again. Um, they, they made some really good like property investments about twenty years ago, and they're, they're they're flush with cash because of those property among among membership fees and all that stuff. But we digress. Really? We're going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening. Any other questions, uh, please hit us up. Make sure you listen next week for um, for our talk with um, with Nathan Hall, which is going to be a good one. We're going to be talking about the role of humour in academia. But until next time, bye-bye. Bye.